We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as I give an update on four-star running back Tank Bigsby, my early fall camp impressions, some different news and notes to go over as well. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks tight end Jacob August as we talk about his path to South Carolina, playing for both Steve Spurrier and Will Muschamp, the new ops building, his favorite memories of Gamecock, life after football, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend. SeatGeek's got tickets to literally anything and everything you need tickets to. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, you guys have heard me talking about them a bunch. Football season is upcoming. The NFL, college football, MLB is in full swing. They've got tickets to concerts, comedy club events, you name it, but especially your Gamecocks football tickets. If you need tickets, Use our friends over at SeatGeek. They've actually got a great ticket buying process in which they rate the tickets for you based on their own system so you know whether you're getting a great deal, you know whether you're getting a steal or if you're getting ripped off. You have that peace of mind before you click the buy button to know that you are without a doubt getting the best bang for your buck. If you need tickets to any South Carolina Gamecocks football games, the game in Charlotte, any of the home games, if you're going on any road trips, SeatGeek is going to have the best deals for you by far. So again, it's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. As we are just 26 days away from kickoff, depending on when you are tuning in. Uh, kickoff is slowly getting here. Obviously, I tend to talk about um, some things I want to get to before we actually dive into the show, like I mentioned previously, some housekeeping items that I just want to touch on really quickly. Um, first thing I want to say is appreciate everyone that is taking the time to go leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you have done so. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, do me that favor. Click the pause button right now. Go rate, review the show. Um, obviously would love if you guys would give it five stars, especially if you do love the show. But if you have any feedback, would love to hear that as well, wherever you're listening, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you can rate and review the Spurs Up show, give it a review. 
Um, give us five stars. Leave a couple sentences, what you like, what you don't like, what you think I can improve on. Always love to hear feedback from the fans, from the listeners. Um, would be nothing without you guys. So would really appreciate any, any and all feedback you can give, especially on those different platforms. Um, also have some brand new merch dropping. It may have already dropped by the, by the time you listen to this. Um, but very, very excited for that. And also some big news upcoming this week. As you guys know, this is the week I officially, officially move into my place in Columbia, South Carolina. It's a massive week for, 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 for your boy this week. Uh, pick up the keys on Tuesday morning, moving in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, getting all the big stuff in there. And it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And there's some very, very, very big news to follow up which I will probably am sitting on right now and will probably save for the Thursday show um, and for later this week. Uh, stuff I'm very, very excited about, things I think you guys will be very excited about, and things I will just tell you this are about to get amped up and taken to the next level. If you enjoy the Spurs Up show content, which if you're listening to this podcast, you do. I would imagine you do. If you enjoy what, what I've done and what I've built to this point, you are going to be extremely excited about this news. You are only going to be excited about this news because what has, what has been – things have been culminating to this point to where it is about to kick into a whole nother gear, and it's so fitting that with us being so close to kick off that things are about to go into a whole nother gear. So I'm really excited about that. Again, I won't give any more spoilers or spoil the surprise, if you will, but just know there's some big news upcoming this week, and obviously it's a huge week for me personally, moving into my place in Columbia. Obviously going to be very hectic and everything, but uh, – very, very excited. Very, very exciting stuff. And obviously very exciting stuff being just 26 days away from kickoff. I mean, it's crazy. We're actually only, what, a little bit over, what, two and a half weeks or so from the first actual college football game with Florida and Miami, which, I mean, screw the Gators. But, hey, I'm going to be tuned in because why not, man? We all miss college football. I mean, I found myself watching the, the preseason game the other night. It's funny. I was so excited because I'm like, football's on TV tonight. And you cut it on, you're like, it's the Hall of Fame game. <laughs> just, and it's hard to just stay tuned in and locked in on it. But, uh, no, college football is coming back soon. I know we all can't wait for that. But let's go ahead and dive into the show. Um, right before I came on the air, Tank Bigsby putting out an announcement on Twitter that he will announce his college decision on Friday at 630 uh, on a local news channel, 11 Live, which a lot of you were asking, how can I watch that? I'm sure he will post the link, or I will, I will be sure to have the link up for you guys. Um, and we'll all be following along with that, obviously. But – it's funny, all the comments after I put up that, you know, he was announcing and all the information, all the people, the negative comments coming out about Bigsby's going to Auburn, Bigsby's going to Georgia, we have no chance, blah, 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 this and that. And I've talked about this a lot before, and I've had people, you know, come at or ask me and, you know, in the DMs and the Spurs Up Show DMs and stuff like that, what are the real chances that USC can actually land Tank Bigsby? I know a lot of people, that's, that's the number one question they have right now. Can we even land him? Do we even have a chance to land him? And it's kind of funny. I mean, I this is the thing that I don't get about recruiting. And I understand there's momentum in recruiting and you always kind of you always kind of want to have the last impression with the kid, but it's like people forget about that South Carolina had him on campus and had him on the tank in the armory and I mean, he had a great time at that visit and I understand he's been visiting Auburn a lot, Georgia a lot. Um but I'll be honest with you. And listen, I do not tout myself as a Gamecocks recruiting website. I'm not putting myself behind a paywall for you to get information about certain prospects or anything crazy like that. Um, but it's funny. I feel like I should kind of start doing my own little – and I don't even want to call it crystal ball projections because people already do crystal balls. I want to start giving – it's funny. People put their records up for this stuff like it's gambling, right? Like like I have a 64% uh, recruit. You know, I'm 64% of the time right. Like it's like gambling numbers. It's crazy. But uh, 
you know, my overall record, I don't know if I really have an overall record because I don't know that I've ever predicted a kid 110% to go somewhere because I don't think anybody really knows. I think it's all guesswork. Even the guys that are quote-unquote insiders that get paid to do it. Listen, it's all guesswork. We don't know. But I'll tell you right now, from the people I've talked to, the sources that I have, um, I feel much better than most about Tank Bigsby. I, I don't understand all of the the negativity coming out and the the doom and gloom. I, I think it comes a lot from South Carolina fans are just trying not to get their hopes up because they don't want to get let down. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. Because to me, I've got South Carolina right now 60-40 that the Gamecocks are going to get him. I, I mean, I feel much better than most. And I'll go ahead and put that out there right now, actually. I'll predict that South Carolina lands Tank, Tank Bigsby on Friday. I think he wants I, – I think – the Gamecocks get Tank Bigsby. I'll go ahead and put that out there right now. Um, I think Tank Bigsby wants to play with Marshawn Lloyd. I think he probably is going to realize – I mean, listen, Auburn and Georgia, two great schools, but I think Tank Bigsby has a better chance to come into South Carolina and make an immediate impact. They have a better career overall long-term for him. Because Bigsby and Marshawn Lloyd, to me, I mean, listen, all due respect to guys like Kevin Harris, Deshaun Fenwick, uh, Levante Valentine, other running backs on the roster – Marshawn Lloyd and Tank Bigsby are going, if they're both on campus, are going to be major, major factors in the running back rotation for South Carolina, if not the two starters for the Gamecocks. Um, and from what I've heard, Bigsby has already said he wanted to play with Marshawn Lloyd and he doesn't mind splitting carries. So, I mean, to me, things – I feel good about it. I don't really understand, again, all the doom and gloom, woe is me type stuff. Again, if you're insiders, if the people you pay to tell you whatever know something that I'm not telling you – so be it. But, I, I, you know, I, nobody really knows what these kids are going to decide. Um, that's why I've, you know, again, I, I know it sounds like blasphemy, but I've never been a guy that lives and dies with recruiting. That's why you don't – that's why the Spurs Up show has never been about putting behind a paywall or putting my podcast behind a Patreon paywall to, for me to tell you secrets about recruits. I just – I don't – that's silly to me. It just seems silly because um, nobody really knows. But to me, from everything I'm hearing – if I had to predict, throw my prediction out there, I think Tank, South Carolina gets Tank Bigsby. I, I think Gamecock fans are overreacting a little bit. Listen, the kids can enjoy their recruiting process. The kids are going to enjoy. They're going to go on their visits. They're going to take visits. They're going to have a good time with it. It's just there's never going to be a situation or scenario in which, you know, and maybe it is. There's sometimes it's a very rarity, though, where a big-time prospect visits one school and is like, I'm shutting it down. I'm not going anywhere else. I mean, we got – you guys all saw what happened with the Isaiah Walker stuff. I mean, think how crazy recruiting is. So to say that USC has no chance with the kid, to me, is – I don't know. I just I, – I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. So, for me, Tank Bigsby, again, he's announcing Friday at 6.30. You know, I'll be covering it, obviously, fully. But uh, I've got the Gamecocks getting him. I think it's 60-40 Carolina right now until I see otherwise. So – uh, it should be very interesting either way, and I'm sure a lot of you will be there to remind me if we don't get him. But um, I feel good about it. Again, I feel better than most. I felt good about it for a long time, and I'm not going to change up my stance now. Um, all right, let's jump into some early fall camp impressions that I have overall. Obviously, there's not a ton to take away from fall camp, which is unfortunate because fall camp used to be a thing where practices were open. You could see guys kind of working out, see what they've done. Now, really none of that. All the practices are closed. Um, there's really nothing and it's, you can really pick up. And the guys aren't even in pads yet. That's the one thing I'll say is that everything I'm saying right now, take it, don't take it with a grain of salt, if you will, but they're not in pads yet. Things are going to change when the guys put the pads on. There's no doubt about it. We, we separate the men from the boys when the pads get put on, as you guys probably know. 
Um, but a couple of things, a couple of early impressions I've had from fall camp so far. Muschamp's opening presser, a quote that he had that was very telling to me besides the, the awesome quote he had about the guy asking the dumbass question regarding the Clemson question. I, I thought that was hysterical. That was hysterical. <laughs> but uh, the quote that was really telling to me was when he said, quote, I would rather coach a young, talented guy than an older guy that can't play. And that was when they asked him about the secondary and the lack of depth, if you will, and the young guys filling in there. And, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like when Muschamp said that, he was inadvertently or, you know, not necessarily calling someone out, but he was basically saying it without saying it, that we've had some guys on this roster the first three years of his tenure that couldn't play. Just older guys that were not very good. And, I mean, I'd agree with him. And I'm not going to name any specific names, try to dog any guys, because, I mean, listen, they played the best they could for Carolina. But I think what he is really insinuating is that, listen, we've had some – just because a guy's older doesn't mean he can play. I mean, we've got some young, talented freshmen that would have been better than maybe some seniors we had last year or two years ago. Um, so what would you rather have, obviously, a guy that's young, talented, with upside but lacks experience, or an older guy that has played a lot but really doesn't have all that upside? He's hit his ceiling and isn't all that great to begin with. So I thought it was a quote to me that was really telling just about the state of this program, the state of, you know, if nothing else, the secondary depth. But I think goes for a lot of this team as well. And I think that's what happens as you upgrade and as you recruit and as he brings in his guys. Um, you know, South Carolina is going to go through these different years where they have youth, but that youth is probably more talented than the guys he, that, that is definitely more talented than the guys that he had when he started at South Carolina. I don't, just don't think there's any question, any way you can debate that. I just thought that was a quote that was really interesting to me and something I wasn't sure a lot of people caught, but something that I picked up on. Um, also, one guy that's been talked about a little bit, Nick Muse. Uh, he was talked about by Bobby Bentley. Um, from what I picked up, they seem to really like him. It seems like he could be a special type of player if he's eligible to play. You know, the coaching staff, like I mentioned, Bobby Bentley, speaking really highly on him. Um, it's funny because when he was picked up, I know a lot of people were confused and wondering why would South Carolina take on that transfer, take on Nick Muse, like what's the point of it? But it sounds like to me from the way they talk about him, they really must have seen something from him in the summer camps that they really liked because Bobby Bentley was again asked about him, was really giving him high praise, saying he was an alpha male in the meeting room. I mean, just a lot of positive things. So you know, there's no guarantee that he's going to be eligible to play this year. And if I had to guess, I would say he's probably not. And I think even if he is eligible to play, you might not even – the Gamecocks might not even feel the impact he will have this year. As I think it's Keel Pollard and Kyle Markway as the one-two. And it would be hard for me to believe that he's going to crack that in just fall camp. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I think the coaching staff maybe knows a little more what they're doing than some people on uh, – throughout the, uh, the Twitter sphere or wherever social media give them credit for with Nick Muse. I just – I don't know. It seems like the way they're speaking on – and obviously they're not, they're, they're not going to come out and say, oh, the, the kid's garbage, the kid can't play. But it just seems like to me that it, it's weird. It just seems like they, they, they're really high on him. So I, I think it will be interesting to see. Obviously, it may mean nothing. We may not even get to see him play this year. But I think overall something to watch as we move into uh, – even into 2020 as well. Um, Defensive line depth also, something else showing early. There was obviously a video put up on social media. I know some other people were talking about it as well. You know, it's too early to say anything definitive about any part of South Carolina's team or especially this group, but any part of the Gamecocks team. I mean, like I said, nobody's in full pads. It's all just shells going through scrimmages and stuff like that. But I think for the first time, and I, this is something that kind of goes back to what I said on the defensive preview, I think for the first time in a while, 
USC is really going to, if nothing else, look the part on the line of scrimmage. You know, the Gamecocks are going to have bodies they simply haven't had in the first three years of the, of the, uh, of the Muschamp tenure. And like I said, I think this is the best Gamecocks defense, most athletic defense, most talented Gamecock defense since 2013. This might be the deepest the Gamecocks have been on the line of scrimmage as well since that time. No doubt. I mean, I just think when you think about the guys across the board with Wanham, Kinlaw, um, Sandage, Enigbare, Keir Thomas, Kobe Smith, um, I know uh, Aaron Sterling, Brad Johnson, you start adding some other guys, you know, I think the Gamecocks finally have built up some depth on the defensive line, on the defensive line of scrimmage, which is something so vital. We know that the Gamecocks, and for any college football team to be successful, you need to run the ball and stop the run. Um, so from everything we've, I've seen and everything we've heard, it seems that for the first time in a while, like I said, USC finally fits the part and looks the part, more importantly, on the line of scrimmage. Also, Sunday afternoon, I know everyone was excited because Tavian Feaster made his fall camp debut. Or, excuse me, I think he was actually out there Saturday morning. Excuse me, that's wrong. Saturday morning, Bobby Bentley actually clarified he was out there. Sunday afternoon, Gamecock Football's Twitter account put up a picture of him, which made it feel more like his camp debut. But either way, put up a picture of him rocking the number four jersey. Um, Nothing really noteworthy from that. Just I know everyone's very, very excited, obviously, to see him in Garnet and Blacks, kind of kind of finally see him get on the field. And really happy. Really, I, I know I'm really happy. It's something that just didn't drag on and take forever because we've seen stuff with with South Carolina and, heck, other schools where it's like you get a kid in there and it just takes so long to get him eligible and get him practicing, and get him, you know, just glad there was no issues with that. So because Feaster obviously needs as much time as he can to get acquainted with the offense. I don't think learning the playbook is necessarily an issue, but – getting comfortable in the system, if you will, getting uh, comfortable with his teammates, getting acquainted with his teammates, and uh, getting in the groove of things. So, obviously, very, very good good news for the Gamecocks. Um, other than that, like I said, I mentioned the beginning, but nothing to me really noteworthy uh, until the team gets in full pads. But there are definitely some smaller things we can take away from what the Gamecocks are currently doing on the practice field. So, uh, again, it's, it's coming. It's coming soon. 26 days. I know we're all counting down, but uh, we'll take the little tidbits from, uh, from fall practice in the meantime. Uh, some news and notes really quickly before I get into the listener questions. Um, Gamecocks, former Gamecocks basketball player Sandari Stormwell signs a one-year deal with the Clippers. Um, obviously a legend, obviously something very exciting and something we all love to see, obviously, after he was released, I believe, by the uh, – or excuse me, not the Clippers, but the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Clippers were the team that were released him. The, the, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers – too many C's in that sentence, I feel like. That's why I screwed that up. The Cavaliers signed Sendarius Thornwell to a one-year deal. So, obviously, very good to see to see Sin Thornwell land on his feet. A Gamecocks legend in his own right. So, good stuff there. Also, South Carolina receiving 15 votes in the USA Today coaches poll. Which, you know what, I think is interesting. I think really speaks to, and I think the Gamecocks overall puts him at like 42nd in the country or something, which isn't a great rating. But, I, you know, I just think speaks to, that. like, there's talent on this team. I don't think anybody, they weren't going to get any more votes than that simply because of the schedule. Because, listen, the preseason polls are weird. The preseason polls, I feel like people vote more so they where they think people will finish versus where they're going to be ranked in the preseason. But, you know, I think people, some people at least recognize there's talent on this team. Like, this could be a pretty good football team this year. But, uh, I mean, the schedule's just brutal. So, th that was my biggest takeaway. Again, the preseason polls don't mean a lot. But uh, the Gamecocks do pick up 15 votes in the USA Today coaches poll. So, all right, let's get into some listener questions. A lot of listener questions, which I appreciate will be a big part of the show today, which I always like. Um, 
Vince Smitty 2017 has three questions for me, so let's go over these. Who is your pick for leading rusher? No question, hands down, Tavian Feaster. It's not even a debate. Um, his other question, is this Will Muschamp's best defense at USC? Again, no question, hands down, his best defense. And I think the Gamecocks' best defense since 2013. Um, and then Ben Smitty's last question. How many interceptions does Jake throw this season? If I had to pick a number, if I had to put my money on a number, I'll say he'll throw right at 10 interceptions. I'll say he hits double digits, but just at 10 interceptions. So he improves on last year but still a little bit high. But until he completely shows he's – until he shows he's completely eliminated some of the throws he's made in the past out of his repertoire, I'll say he has a better year, but I'm still going to say he, he throws a decent amount. Those 10, which wouldn't be horrible. It wouldn't be horrible. Um, all right, Scott W. Lawson. Does Feaster as RB1 mean winning a few more games this season? This is something I talked about, obviously, earlier this – or last week on the Daily Crow and something that we've talked about ad nauseum, obviously. But, you know – like I said before, I think it raises the ceiling of this season. Like, I think the Gamecocks before Tavian Feaster were maybe the ceiling was eight wins, whereas now it might be nine or, God forbid, ten. And people take that out of context, like I'm saying South Carolina is going to win ten games. No, I'm just saying that in the perfect scenario where everything lines up right, Tavian Feaster's a monster running back. He's a, he's a really, really good back for South Carolina. Jake Bentley benefits from that, and the entire offense is much better, and the defense pans out like we think. That's what I'm saying. That's the ceiling, the most you can get out of the team. I think they could be a 9-3 and three team, a 10-2 and two team, but that's the ceiling. Do I think it maybe gives them one more win? I think maybe in one of those swing games, it does make a big enough impact. His impact is felt greatly enough to where the Gamecocks can pull one out maybe that I, I picked them to lose, you think, at Tennessee or maybe at Texas A&M. But overall, you know, I'm sticking with my 7-5 and five prediction. But I could certainly see if, if he pans out his impact being great in the Gamecocks, maybe picking up or stealing a win in the process. Um, underscore Jay Blanc, prediction. Tavian Feaster over or under 1,000 yards rushing. I'm going to say under. I, I still do think Rico Dowdle gets his touches, uh, so I think that will limit Tavian Feaster um, in that regard. But I think Tavian Feaster, I've got him somewhere between 700 and 800 yards this season. Um, C. Newell, C. Newell underscore 808. Do you think we are capable of a nine-plus win season? Uh, I mean, I think South Carolina is capable of not. I think, again, the ceiling is nine and three or maybe 10 and two. Maybe that's pushing it, though. I, so is it possible? I mean, sure, it's possible. Anything's possible, but I don't think it's realistic to expect that. I just don't. So um, Ryan underscore crisp underscore JRC. Opinion on Paul Feinbaum's comments on South Carolina maybe winning 10 games. So, the one thing I want to clarify, because everybody's been asking about that, it wasn't Paul Feinbaum specifically who made the comments. It was Michael Bratton from Saturday Down South, um, who is a friend of the Spurs Up show, pretty cool guy. Um, but it was Michael Bratton that made that comment that he thinks that South Carolina will be one of the biggest surprises in the SEC and could be a 10-2 and two team this year. And he was dead serious. Um, my opinion on it is simply, you know, I'm not willing to make that bold of a prediction. Um, obviously, I love the pub and love there's a different opinion out there because we've just heard everybody say the same thing about South Carolina, whether it's the schedule's tough or, you know, the, the schedule, the schedule, the schedule, the schedule. And it's just been negativity, negativity, negativity. So I'm really excited to hear the positive pub and somebody kind of hyping up South Carolina and things of that nature. But I'm not willing to jump on board with that and say, yep, the Gamecocks are going to shock people and they're going to win 10 games. There are just things I need to see happen before I believe that, to be honest with you. Um, 
Creek 61, is Feaster practicing yet? And if not, when? He is practicing, started practicing on Saturday and was practicing Sunday afternoon as well. Um, K underscore hopped 12, most overhyped player on the roster. Got to gotta put somebody on the spot, throw somebody under the bus, man. That, that, is, that is brutal. But I'm a man of the people, so I'm going to answer this question. Um, most overhyped player. Now, you got to think in this question, who's getting hyped up a lot? That's a big thing. Who's getting hyped up? There aren't many guys on South Carolina's roster that are getting a ton of hype, if you will. Um, oh, man. I mean, I don't know because, I, again, I don't think there are a lot of guys that are getting crazy amounts of hype. If I had to pinpoint one guy, and I'll pinpoint this guy because I've heard a lot of the local Columbia media and other people, you know, sort of defend him or say that he's still going to have a big impact, and it's Rico Dowdle. And I think Rico Dowdle, a guy that is getting a lot of credit from not, again, not everyone, some people in the USC media saying that they're very high on him and think he's really going to challenge Tavian Feaster for the job. And it's not, Tavian Feaster is not automatically the number one running back. And in my opinion, it's like, what have you seen from Rico Dowdle that would make you think he's going to be all of a sudden the guy, that he's going to be this consistent back for South Carolina? You're basically asking Rico Dowdle to do things he has not shown he can do in three years. This isn't a six- or seven-game sample size. This is three years of this guy not being consistent, of him being made of glass, injury-prone. So, again, I'm not sure Rico Dowdle's really getting any hype at all, but for the people that are trying to give him hype and try to turn this into something it's not, that he's going to ch somehow challenge Tavian Feaster for the number one running back job. And, listen, it's going to be a battle, obviously. They're, they're going to fight for the number one position. But I would be shocked. Nothing would shock me more if Tavian Feaster's not the number one running back against North Carolina. Nothing would shock me more, to be completely honest with you. So, again, I don't know if Rico's really catching a bunch of hype, but for the people that are trying to hype him up, I would just say stop it. Just, just stop. B underscore Baker 19, what is your favorite uniform combo? White, black, white for me. Shout out Taylor Dively because he loves white, black, white. Um, what is your favorite uniform combo? That's a really, really good question. You know, I used to say all garnet, even with the garnet helmets. I loved that look last year against Mizzou. But I'll tell you what, you know what's kind of interesting? Because I like a lot of different uniform combos. But I think the switching up of the uniform so much has really – and listen, I'm, I'm somebody that I, I like the alternate uniforms. I like switching it up because I know it's good for recruiting. Players like it a lot. It looks cool. But I've almost kind of I've I've came to really appreciate I have come to really appreciate the traditional just white garnet white white helmets garnet jerseys white pants like it looks so clean like the the the, the Carolina script on the helmet like we've worn it so much to this point and we've worn the different color helmets to this point like when we rock the white garnet white like it just looks so fresh and the all white on the road like the I've grown to really like the traditional white helmet, I think, is just, is just what it is. Because of, like, again, you switch it up so much, it's like, man, like, our, our just normal home uniforms and white garnet white are just so clean. They look so good. But off the wall one, I guess, that's not that one. My favorite home uniform, I mean, how, you know, I really like all black, even though people, the whole blackout thing. I, I like all black. I think all black is cool, and I think it's cool that South Carolina um, – can wear black because it's one of their colors. They don't have to do like some alternate uniform type thing. I mean, they just, they just can wear black. And then road uniforms. I mean, I, I like garnet white garnet a lot. You know, I like the stormtroopers. I like garnet white garnet. I like black white black. Um, 
I don't know. I like all the road uniforms, to be honest with you. I will say the ones they wore at Florida, garnet white black, were really, really cool. I know that one was kind of throwing it back to the old school, if you will. I thought that looked really awesome, too. I, I don't know. It's a tough question. But white garnet white for me is a uniform combo I think is underappreciated and one that I've grown to seriously love for our home unis, just the traditional stuff. Um, last question, Clark underscore underscore Kevin. Good job. Can't wait for this season. Really do appreciate those kind words. Really, really do appreciate the encouragement and the kind words there, Clark. I appreciate that. Um, all right, cool. So let's get into the interview. Jacob August, former Gamecocks tight end. Very, very exciting interview, and I'm very excited for this interview for you guys, obviously because – Jacob literally just finished up playing in December. Um, it's always cool when I can get a guy on the show that was just on the team. Obviously, you know, I've done interviews with a lot of guys from a lot of different time ranges from literally spanning from the early 80s to current day to – and that's, that really spans over all sports. So, I think it's really cool. Obviously, the older interviews are very cool as well, but obviously this is someone that we just watched play on the field, someone that knows the current state of Gamecock football better than anyone – so very, very excited for you guys. Stay tuned. The Jacob August interview. Jacob, an awesome dude. Had a ton of fun with the conversation. I think you guys will certainly enjoy. And the interview is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Again, SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use. Guys, I implore, if you need your tickets to South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, especially Gamecock football, SeatGeek is the place to go. I know a lot of you asked me, Chris, I've already got a SeatGeek account. What do I do? What do I do? I can't use your promo code because it's for first-time purchases only. Guys. I hate to spoil it. I think SeatGeek might pull the sponsorship away from me because I'm giving away this secret. Create a new account with a new email. I know you have more than one email. If you don't have more than one email, go to google.com, create a Gmail. It's free. Set it up. Create that email. Go create a new SeatGeek account. Download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Create the account and then go find your GameCock football tickets and get that discount for you. Enter the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, like I talked about, SeatGeek does all the work for you. They help you get the best deal possible. They have a ticket rating system where it rates the tickets for you. So if you want to shop by the deal score, the type of deal you're getting, they do that for you literally to help you make sure you save the most money. So they, they're going to tell you if you're getting ripped off. They're going to tell you if you're getting a really good deal. Again, it's really that simple. And they give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button that I'm making the best possible purchase for me, my family, my friends, whoever's going with me to the game. So again, that's SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks tight end, Jacob August. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2014 to 2018. He amassed 23 catches, 239 yards, and two touchdowns over his South Carolina career. Was also named three-time SEC Academic Honor Roll, Burlesworth Trophy nominee in 2018, an award that is given to the most outstanding college football player who began his career as a walk-on. Uh, for a while, he also sported one of the best mustaches in USC history. I'm very happy to bring on to the show former Gamecocks tight end, Jacob August. Jacob, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, obviously, I had to throw it in there about the, about the mustache, because I'll be honest, one of the first <laughs> things when I think about you last season was the mustache you had. Before we get into everything else, what's the story behind the, uh, the choice of facial hair last year? Just kind of a random thing or uh, something you had going? Yeah, it was pretty random. Uh, my dad had a mustache for like 20 years, so he, um, I grew up looking at him with one, and he just always looked so professional. So <laughs> I thought that I would give it a shot. And it ended up working pretty well because it started during camp. And I didn't, I stayed at the um, facility, so I didn't even have a, I didn't have a chance to, to shave or anything. So 
by the time camp was over, it was already pretty much already in there. So I just kind of kept it going the rest of the season and it ended up being a lot more burly than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. It was very, very recognizable. There's no doubt about that. But uh, <laughs> let, let's go back to the beginning, Jacob, for you, because it's kind of interesting. Your local kid obviously went to Carl Newman High School. Uh, what I thought was interesting, something I didn't know about you, is that out of high school you were offered by South Carolina and Georgia as a punter. Um, for you that's specifically, because right. I know you went, you went to JUCO, and I want to talk about with you a little bit life at JUCO, but – for you, growing up in Columbia, I mean, was South Carolina always sort of that dream school for you? I mean, was there ever any other school on the radar for you as far as where you wanted to play college football? Not really. Um, I, I mean, we've had season tickets since I was two years old. I ended up I ended up going to a lot of games growing up. Um, Ryan Brewer was always my favorite. And uh, actually, when I was going through the process, he called me. And once he called me, it was a wrap. You know, when I, when you have your hero – like, your hero growing up call you and give you advice you kind of just listen to him um after after I actually didn't go to JUCO I went to a prep school so I just reclassified and after that I was committed to Penn State as a preferred walk-on as well but um that was that was a short thing South Carolina always was always home to me it was it was always in my heart and uh it was really one of the best decisions I've ever made no doubt. So I apologize. You went to prep school, which is Fork Union Military Academy. Just kind of talk about That's right. uh, what was that like for you? And I guess what I read up on you is that you went there as a multi-position guy, obviously, again, punter, tight end, really all over the field. I mean, when did you make that decision to play the tight end position? That's what you were going to pursue. Um, yeah, well, like you said, I started as a punter. Um, I went to a really small Catholic school in Columbia, and uh, not a lot of kids get recruited uh, – uh, from where I went to school and uh, I thought that punting would have been the top thing for me. So I started punting and it actually opened a lot of doors for me. When I, uh, when I got that preferred walk on to Georgia, I was going to be a punter and then I was going to transition into tight end and kind of grow from there. But um, it was really when I, when I went to the, um, to the trial for Fork Union, um, I went there, I did punting and tight end, but I just re- they just saw me and they were just like, you have, you have the perfect body for a tight end. I think you should give it a shot. And I, and I mean, here I am now, like, I'm, I'm really glad I did that. No doubt. Did you ever give any of the, uh, the special teamers, or the punters on, uh, on your team, any of your teammates kind of crap thinking you could steal their job or. Uh, I mean, we have Joseph Charlton and Michael Almond. Those are two really good punters. Um, I'd like to say if they weren't there, I would give them a run for their money, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they, uh, it was always, it was always their, their job for the taking. Um, no one really knew I was a punter. Uh, my freshman year until we were doing a scout team period and the defense needed a look and they just threw me back there for a, for a fourth down. And I ended up putting like 65 yards and at the Rob, it was Joe Rob was a special coach. He came to the side. He pulled me over to the side and was like, have you ever thought about punting here again? I was like, I mean, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I ended up giving him a short stint freshman and sophomore year, but um, that was, that was very short lived. For sure. So I want to talk about, you know, Jacob, obviously you played for, you're one of the guys who went through the uh, the coaching change in 2015, if you will, but you played for the legendary Hall of Famer, Steve Spurrier, obviously everything he did at South Carolina. Just talk about, you get on campus um, in 2014. Talk about your first interactions with Steve Spurrier and just how funny is it that he, he nicknamed you Dan August after some, I forget the TV show or whatever that he was familiar with. Um, so... He, you know, you know, Spurrier. He was, he was really, uh, he really liked giving players names because I, I think um, he had trouble remembering them um, when he got um, later in his career because he had so many players. Um, and he looked at me, 
And he, I made a, I made a nice play. He's like, ah, is that Dan August? And I really like that player. And everyone's like, who's Dan August? And <laughs> we ended up looking up, and he told us that when, when he was coaching in the what was the USFL for the Bandits, mm-hmm. yeah, Burt Reynolds was a part owner of the team. And when he was, when he was there, he was also filming for a show called uh, Dan August. It was a, um, it was a detective show. I think it was on ABC, or I don't even remember where it was on. But uh, it, I, I guess, I guess him being with Burt Reynolds that time gave him that uh, trigger to remember Dan August. And he looked at me and was like, I think Dan August, I like that name. I think I'm going to call you Dan. And uh, <laughs> then it kind of stuck. <laughs> That's awesome. So like, like I mentioned, Jacob, you came to USC as a walk-on. Uh, you redshirted in 2014. I want to ask you from someone that's done it, how much different, if at all, is life for a walk-on versus a scholarship guy, if you will? Um, I mean, it's different. Um, you, you, definitely, you definitely have to – earn your keep a lot more when you're a walk-on. Um, the recruited guys, they pretty much know who they are. The coaches know who you are when you come in. As, and, but as far as a walk-on, it's kind of um, you got you to earn your stripes. Um, you got to do a lot of the dirty work. Um, you might not get a lot of the attention in the beginning that the scholarship players get, but that's just part of the challenge. You know, you got you to gotta rise above that and uh, make, your, make your name known. Um, I think that uh, being a walk-on was a really good thing that happened to me because it made me appreciate the process a lot more. So uh, I really have no complaints in terms of being a walk-on. For sure. So I want to jump ahead, Jacob. 2015, uh, your first year on the field playing uh, the UCF game. You record your first touchdown in Garnet and Black. Talk about what is going through your mind and I guess just how awesome it was because I actually watched the play before we came on live and I forgot just how how much you lost your mind basically when you scored that touchdown. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure a lot of emotions were running through you. I mean just talk about again the emotions and how awesome it was knowing you just scored for your hometown team, the team you grew up watching. Man, what a what an incredible experience. Um one thing I remember about that was when I scored, I felt like I was in the movie Gladiator when uh, everyone in the Coliseum was just staring down at you and you scored, scored my touchdown and put my hands up. Uh, what happened was we ran, we, that was one of uh, Spurrier's marquee plays. It was a, it was a bootleg play action and uh, usually goes with Darrell, but Jarrell had about seven or eight uh, snaps before that and he was getting really tired. So he said, you got it, Dan. And he looked at me and I was like, oh man, this is coming to me. So I put my hand down. I ran. I ran the over ball, and it was it was right there. It was it was pretty pretty awesome. And uh, I think the best part about it was how excited the teammates, my teammates, were uh, with that though, because they knew how much it meant to me. They knew how big of a Gamecock fan I was. So that was really special for me as well. No doubt, that's awesome. So the 2015 season, obviously, Jacob was a very very interesting one. Um, I'll just jump straight into it. Steve Spurrier, you know, resigns about three quarters of the way, midway through the season, whatever. But, you know, what was your reaction to it? Because, again, as a guy that was a huge fan, season tickets, you saw what Steve Spurrier did and built at South Carolina, and then you're playing for him. And I'm sure this is just like a whirlwind of emotion. Again, Spurrier out of nowhere. We, You know, like I said, I've talked to Perry Orth and Michael Skarnecchia, Bryce Nolan, was a couple other guys about what their feelings were, if they saw it coming. I mean, what was your reaction? How shocked were you, if at all? Was it something you thought would happen? I mean, what was – just just kind of walk me through what's going through your mind when you hear the news that Steve Spurrier is resigning. Well, um, I, as players, we really had no idea. Um, I remember we were, uh, we were pre- preparing for Vandy, and he brought us to the side after, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday practice. 
and he said, don't worry about what you, uh, what you guys are hearing. We got to stay together. Um, let's just worry about banning, prepare that way, uh, with or without me, you guys, you guys need to do the right thing and, uh, prepare for this game. And I know a lot of us looked around and we were like kind of dumbfounded at what he said, because some of us realized that he was retiring and, and some of us didn't. Um, yeah, I, I think it was kind of tough on the team because I, it, we, we, we kind of felt like we failed him in a way. Um, you never want to see a legendary coach leave halfway through the year. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it is. He felt like it was time for him to go. Um, you know, we all wish him nothing but the best. I'm sure he's having a great time in Florida. Um, I mean, he's, he's someone that I have looked up to my whole life. And uh, I just really appreciate what he did for us during the time he was there. Would Do you think there were any – I mean, I guess it doesn't sound like with you, but do you think there were any, like, bitter feelings from some of the guys on the team, just the kind of the way things went? Because you know, I know fans had their own reactions. I know a lot of fans were torn either way, whether they were okay with it or upset with it or how they felt. And some people still, the way they feel about Steve Spurrier and what he did. I mean, were there players – what was the energy like in the locker room as far as when that happened towards Coach? Um, I think some players were just – they were confused and they just felt misunderstood. Um, I mean, it's, it's tough because when you're, when you're getting recruited as a, as a player, coaches come into your, to your home and to your family and they tell you that, that your kid is going to be safe with this person. Um, so a lot of players, they expected to have four or five years with this guy, with this coach and coach Burrier. And when he leaves in a year and a half later, um, it, it does a lot to the families of the kids as well, because there's a lot of trust that gets put into being a, a, a college football player in terms of, uh, allowing your family to trust a the coach that you have so um I think a little I think a few players were a little disgruntled by it but um it's football man I mean we, when he retired we had a game in three days it was kind of just about us putting our heads down and we're focusing on the next game and kind of getting it out and uh, not trying to worry about it uh, obviously Jacob you know the 2015 season didn't go the way people wanted but how would you <clears throat> after the Spurrier resignation you know, someone that I think doesn't get quite talked about enough is Sean Elliott. How would you grade the job that he did for you guys and uh, the place that he left South Carolina in for Will Muschamp to kind of pick up from? I think he did a fantastic job. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of us, a lot of players, they really look up to Coach Elliott. He's very um, he's a very energetic guy. Um, he knows what he's doing. He cares about the players so much. He cares about everyone that that uh, that he that he coaches himself and. Um, you could see that in his coaching techniques. Um, I think that he did a really good job weathering, weathering the storm in a way. Um, and he was another guy that uh, helped us not worry about what was going on with Spurrier, but helped us worry about what the, what the um, objective was in the next week. For sure. So you, Jacob, obviously all the players really, but you guys are sitting there after the 2015 season. South Carolina is in the middle of a coaching search. You have no idea who your head coach is going to be. Um, the Gamecocks land on Will Muschamp. Uh, j just talk about sort of what that first meeting was like and when did you know things were about to be a lot different under Coach Muschamp than they were under Coach Furrier? Uh, I would probably say that first meeting he had with us, he kind of set the tone. He let us know that uh, the stuff we were getting away with beforehand isn't, wasn't going to happen. Um, I think I thought Muschamp was a, was a perfect hire. I still think he is. Um, I think what he what he's really good at is uh, setting discipline in his players and um, and showing the right technique in terms of on and off the field. Um, I just think that Muschamp, um, I thought he was I thought he was a perfect hire. Um, I just think that uh, we you know my, Coach Spurrier was he was he was a he was a football mind. He he always knew what was going on to play ahead, 
And Muschamp is like that too, but Muschamp also takes it to the next level in terms of having your stuff done on and off the field. Because if it's done off the field, then you can you can focus on things on the field, only on the field. You don't have to worry about outside noise. Um, so I think that's what uh, Muschamp really brings to the table, and that's what he's really good at. No doubt. So, Jacob, I want to jump into his first season. 2016, obviously, I know Gamecock fans were very eager, excited. A new era of South Carolina football begins. It gets off to a rocky start. You guys are 2-4 and four overall um, going into a bye week. Uh, Will Muschamp and, and his coaching staff decide to take the red shirt off of a true freshman, Jake Bentley, a guy who we heard the – the the, uh, the the label so many times was supposed to be still be in high school. I feel like they're still saying that about him for whatever reason. But uh, <laughs> just kind of talk about what type of resurgence and new energy did that bring to the football team? Because obviously you guys finish out the year four and two, make a bowl game. Um, and it really seemed like it turned the team around when they handed the keys over to Jake Bentley. Yeah, I mean, what a spark he was. Um, I think I think Jake being right out of high school or maybe supposing supposed to be in high school really helped him because – he didn't really know what to expect, so he just got an opportunity to react during the game and can just kind of be himself. Um, I thought that was uh, that was really refreshing, um, and and a lot of a lot of the guys were, reacted the right way as well. Um, they saw what he was bringing to the table, and they they wanted to match that, and that kind of gave us the resurgence and energy we needed to finish out the season. What was your relationship like with Jake Bentley while you were at South Carolina? I'm just just curious because obviously, uh, you know, Bentley going into his final season this year in 2019 has got a chance to set a bunch of records at South Carolina. But what specifically with you and Jake was, uh, would you say your relationship was like with him? Real good friends. Um, we, I mean, we would we would do things, you know, we would go to spring break together. Um, we would we spend the weekend with each other with a bunch of friends. Um, I would say that we were we were really close friends. Um, you know, but in terms of on the football field, uh, a lot of the position guys stay with position guys because meetings you're with your position and not much else. So I was I was a lot closer with uh, with the tight ends as a whole. Hayden, Jake, Kyle, or not Jake, Hayden, Kyle, uh, Evan, KC, Will, Kiel, all those guys. They were they were um, they really helped me get through um, my season with uh, with a good amount of friends. But uh, Jake such a good guy um you can see that he, he cares so much about about his teammates about his family about his his parents about his brothers about all of us and um there's just not much more that needs to be said about him just because of how good of a guy he is so Jacob I want to jump ahead to a very positive and awesome personal note for you spring of 2017 uh you're officially placed on scholarship just, just kind of try to explain and walk me through what that meant to you on a personal because I'm sure it had to really hit home uh and be something really special for you yeah it was it was unbelievable um I wasn't expecting it to be honest with you I was uh, you know that was one of my goals but it was on a um it was one of the meetings when we came back after the bowl game and uh it was the first meeting back and uh coach Muschamp got on stage and said he said we have an issue with one of our players if uh if you could come up, uh, if Jacob Box, you can come up, we need to discuss something. And I got up there really scared, really nervous. I was like, oh, no, what did I do? <laughs> and uh, he ended up offering me a scholarship. And the first thing I did was, you know, shake Mushroom's hand. I got a bunch of uh, celebratory applause by my uh, teammates, a lot of hugs. And then I called my dad and my mom. And we, we just, you know, we just kind of sat there for a second and really appreciated, you know, the process of what, what happened in these last few years and, you know, where I started as a, as a little kid going to USC games and, you know, I ended up getting a scholarship at my dream school. 
Um, just incredible. No doubt. So I want to switch gears, Jacob, with you just a little bit from sort of on the field to off the field. One thing I want to ask you about, because I'm curious, is, you know, in the day and age we are now, the social media aspect of things is very, very interesting about how certain guys handle it, how teams handle it. You know, some have a no Twitter policy or some have some crazy social media policy. I think, what is it, Cliff Kingsbury with the Cardinals now is doing like a phone, phone breaks and stuff like that. But <laughs> yep. my question more centers around for you. Obviously, college football, there is a lot of emotion. And people say a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Heck, I mean, I, I've said things before. I mean, people just have a lot of strong opinions and say things. But I tell people that the great and t- terrible thing about social media is everyone has a voice, even those that maybe shouldn't mm-hmm. have a voice, if you will. How did you as a player and other guys handle it? Because I know people can say, well, you stay away from the press clippings or stay away from your phone. Or, but, like, there's really no way to get away from it. I mean, how did you and how would you say other guys on your team were able to handle it in a world that is just seems like controlled by social media at this point? Um, I, it's, it's, it's not impossible to keep it away from you, but uh, it's really hard. Um, I, I found the only way that I could – you know, kind of get over that and not worry about what other people were saying was I would just delete social media for an extended period of time because as great as social media can be, it can also be very detrimental. Um, I mean, you, you can just pick any player on the roster, type in their name, and a lot of the stuff that you see will be really good and it'll be praised by the player, but then there's always those those outliers that, that, that have their uh, have their own opinion about what happened and uh, aren't afraid to speak it. Um, I think another challenge that's gonna, that's kind of starting to arise is social media in the younger kids change so much. I mean, mm. my 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 generation, um, a lot of the players, we we were we were kind of raised without it, and then it was brought upon us when we got to high school and college. So we kind of got to be without it growing up. A lot of these other kids now, when they're younger, they were raised with the with the technology. That you know, they that's all they know. You know, they all they know is Instagram, social, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, like that's their life. So, so they're, they're, they're very integrated into the whole software thing and the whole social media thing. And um, I think it's going to be a challenge, but uh, for a lot of players that have issues, I always recommend, you know, just deleting your social media for, for a few weeks. If you're, if you're struggling with it or turn off your notifications because the notifications, those are, those are, those are what really get you. You turn on your phone. The first thing you see is someone commented on, on a post that you put up and, you know, just instinctively, that's all you want to see. You just want to see what they said about you. It's just a natural thing. So um, just, you know, having having a coach have the right balance with that is really important, and um, it could be very beneficial if they do that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, Jacob, you know, again, it's curious to get your insight because as a guy, like, you were recruited and you had an announcement, you committed. I mean, it's it really is crazy, like you're saying, when you talk about the kids now that are coming up. Like, I, I don't – I mean – I personally couldn't imagine being in like middle school or even early high school and having the access to social media that kids have. Cause I mean, I'm sure right. you see the impact it's having on like the, the recruiting process. Like it's like a mm-hmm. full out production with kids announcing like their top 15 and their top 10 and I know. Yeah, they're, they're just going like, it's the, cra- like, it's just so crazy. I mean, how, what's, what it's evolved into, because I mean, I'm sure you remember when it used to just be like, you just called the coach, you let him know you were going there and, you committed and that was emails. it yeah and now and yeah, now it's like turned this it. huge thing where it's just like it it seems almost more guys like and I think Deion Sanders put up a video about this where guys are chasing offers more than they're chasing maybe wins or contributing to their team mm-hmm. it's, it's it, it is very interesting like you're saying like how guys are going to handle it very interesting and 
Yeah, people are more worried about putting uh, something important in their Instagram bio than actually finding the right school for them, <laughs> and <laughs> that uh, that could be a problem. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with it, but there's also it, – it helps kids so much with exposure. No doubt. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sure if I had – if I was in uh, this kind of era with social media, the, the school thing wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily matter as much um, because – you go to a certain amount of camps, you play good, you're all over everything. So I, it really does help a lot. You just got to learn how to manage it. No doubt. No, yeah, just definitely want to get your insight. I think that's interesting. So back mm-hmm. to the field, Jacob. One thing I want to get your opinion on, um, the 2017 season obviously went really well for you guys. You guys win the Outback Bowl, get to nine wins. I think something that South Carolina has only done seven times in its history. So a really mm-hmm. good year. Um, but at the end of that year, Kurt Roper was relieved of his duties as offensive coordinator. As an offensive guy, I want to ask you, because I know there were a lot of a lot of criticism for him. I know, I mean, even me on our, on our show, I had my criticisms of him. But what was your take on that? I mean, did you feel like that needed to happen? Because I'm sure you'd speak very highly of Brian McClendon. And the offense really did improve a year ago. And if you do feel like it needed to happen, what do you think were some of the shortcomings that without obviously without obviously putting down Kurt Roper and his abilities, because that man – he knows more football than he, – he, he's crapped out more football mm-hmm. than I know. So, I mean, w- w- did you feel like that was a change that needed to happen for the Gamecocks offense, I guess, moving forward? Um, I mean, uh, you can uh, – a, a lot of the media likes to put the, a lot of blame on Coach Roper, but at the end of the day, the players didn't get uh, what needed to be done done. I mean, he had – we always thought that he had a really good game plan, but it just – for some reason, it just wouldn't get – uh, executed during the game. And we, I mean, Coach Roper was frustrated, but as players, we're frustrated as well, too. Um, at the end of the day, he just kind of puts us in the right place. When the when the whistle blows, it's it's on the players. It's it's up to us to get in the end zone. So um, it was a kind of a, a, like a little bit like the Spurrier thing. You know, we were just kind of we were disappointed in ourselves because because Coach Roper, he, he puts his family, he puts his kids, he puts his time. And at the end of the day, he can do anything he wants, but it's dependent on us to actually execute it. So um, we, we kind of felt bad. Um, you know, we were really excited to get Coach McClendon because he's an, obviously he's an awesome offensive coordinator. He's such a brilliant mind. He's creative. Um, he, he, was just, he was just really good for the job. But um, it wasn't necessarily us putting fault on Roper. It was us putting fault on ourselves. Gotcha. And, and piggybacking off that, you just lightly touched on it, but I mean, how would you grade the job that McClendon did in year one? Because Muschamp was very, very adamant to bring up the stats at, you know, the SEC media days that happened about a month ago about the improvement, a touchdown a game, I think a hundred yards more a game. Um, and, and I think it just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed like there was more productivity overall. I mean, how would you grade the job that Brian McClendon did in, in year one? And what do you think Gamecock fans can expect moving forward with him? I mean, the proof is in the pudding, like you said. Um, our, our offense got so much better. Um, one thing that uh, Coach, Coach McClendon and Coach Muschamp and all the offensive staff they did really well was they took what Roper was doing and they didn't just completely get a new playbook. They, they took the playbook that he has and they, and they, they put a twist on it. They, they, they saw improvements that they thought would help and they put it into the playbook so that it wasn't, it wasn't overbearing on us in terms of learning the plays and in the, in the film room. We didn't have to – spend another year focusing on new plays. We could spend another year, we could spend the year leading up to the season, you know, watching the other team and film and focusing on the right things. So um, I think that that can't be understated um, that, uh, that coach McClendon kind of did it that way. Um, and like I said, the stats show, I mean, he, 
he does such a good job of getting the right players in the right spots. And uh, I think that this next year coming up is going to be even better because, I mean, this is the first year Muschamp has all of his guys that he recruited on the field except for a few fifth years. So, uh, you know, what, what Muschamp envisioned when he first got here, what he wanted to do with the team is going to be, you know, in full effect just because it's all of his guys now. And, you know, that's going to be another comfort zone that um, is better for Muschamp. No doubt. So, Jacob, I want to talk about that Outback Bowl win over Michigan. Obviously, a, a crazy game. You guys are able to come back in the second half and, and get the win. And, you know, I feel like it was a huge, huge moment for the program, especially a huge moment for the program under Will Muschamp. Um, just kind of talk mm-hmm. about that game a little bit and just sort of what that meant to you guys because you could certainly see the emotion, I guess, sort of pouring out on the field. And it was no doubt, like I mentioned, a, a huge win for the program moving forward. Yeah, it was, that was such an exciting week. Um, you know, Michigan, they have their, they have their prominence, you know, it's, it's Michigan football, you know, they have, a, they have a long history and we knew that um, if, if we knocked them in the mouth, you know, if, uh, if we did the right things that we would, we would come out victorious. And uh, that, that was the most passionate bowl game that I, that I played in, you know, that our team went through. Um, we really wanted that win. Um, and man, dude, it was just, it was just incredible. Um, you know, that was, that was probably that was the biggest bowl game I played in, and a lot of the seniors there they they knew that uh, they wanted to leave on the on the right on the right note. You know, Sky, Dante, Hayden, all those guys um, they really really took it to us and uh, challenged us. You know, be better um, for that game because it's people don't realize that it, it it could be really easy to to get your head out of a game for a bowl game. It's it's you know you have a month off, you just played twelve games, your body's beat up, so it's 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 mentally challenging to have the right mindset but uh for that outback ball man it just all came together and it was such an incredible experience how close were you to whooping somebody's ass at the bowling alley <laughs> i was too far away man uh <laughs> i if you asked if you asked a few other guys on my team they would have probably given you a different answer but uh <laughs> i was we were, i was more focused on the game more than the bowling alley <laughs> it's so funny something like that can turn into like two teams jawing between each other because of bowling it's just yeah you gotta love and that, it and that made the bowl game so much better too i mean <laughs> that 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 really helped with the passion thing too i mean we really wanted to take it to them and it was a great feeling when we did because they they talked a lot they definitely talked a lot For sure. So I want to talk about a guy that was instrumental in that 2017 team and is now having, you know, so far is off to a great start in the NFL. And that's Hayden Hurst. Um, Obviously a guy you mentioned before that you're very close with, you know, a guy that you played behind. What did you learn uh, from Hayden Hurst? What would you say is like the most important thing or the biggest thing you learned from Hayden with with your time spent with him? Work ethic. Um, Hayden, Hayden's work ethic is uh, second to none. Um, any any time you're in, you're at the football facility, he's there. I mean, either working out, watching film, doing recovery. I mean, that that really helped us. Uh, he really he really led by example in terms of uh, the amount of time we need to spend in uh, in that environment. You know, he came from a professional environment from the from the Philly, so he kind of got a good understanding of how how professionals should conduct themselves. You know, in in terms of preparation um, and game time. Uh, achievements um but he's also just a great guy i mean he really cares about his teammates just like uh just like a lot of the other guys but uh he really wanted to win too i think that he had uh, a little bit of chip on his shoulder because he was set out to be this this major league baseball player and that didn't work so uh i think that chip on his shoulder helped him a lot out as well 
How awesome is it to see him doing what he's doing in the NFL? I, I could be wrong, but I think I saw on social media, I think maybe last year you went and saw him at a game in Baltimore. I mean, it's got to be awesome seeing a guy who's right. a good buddy like that uh, balling out at the NFL level. Yeah, man, that was, that was, that's awesome. I mean, that's it's like a dream, man, uh, for him to, you know, play in the NFL. And uh, it's so cool just, what, you know, being able to support him like that. Um, you know, he had uh, he got hurt early in the year, so you know it kind of set him back a little bit. But uh, he had he ended up having a pretty good year, and uh, this year, you know, with that work ethic he has, he he he's putting in that extra work this off season to be prepared for this season to you know have a breakout year potentially. No doubt, yeah, I fully expect it for sure. I, I want to move into Jacob. Obviously, the 2018 season. There was a ton of hype around you guys coming into the season, a ton of hype, especially around that South Carolina Georgia game. I mean, that's always one that you don't have to explain to anyone what that means to anybody at both programs. But, mm -hmm. you know, with all the hype of the season you guys were coming off of, the Outback Bowl win, Tory Gurley guaranteeing a victory on SEC Network, um, you know, and then that game not going the way that we had all planned it to. I mean, do you feel like there was too much hype around that? And do you think that affected you guys at all in any, any sort of way? Um, I, I don't ever think there's too much hype. I just think, uh, what matters is how we handle it. Um, at, at the end of the day, when you go back and look at the film, um, we were, you know, coaches always told us that a game is one in six plays. There's going to be six plays that determine whether or not a team wins or lose. And I just think we got on the bad end of the six plays. Um, you know, looking back at it, you know, you're, you're harsher than, than, than you are during the process, but looking back at it, I felt like, you know, our senior class could have done a lot more to, uh, to you know, kind of weather the storm. But uh, at the end of the day, it just ends up what happens in those, you know, six plays. Um, we, we just didn't get it done. Um, I mean, we still had a, a decent year. Um, you know, seven six isn't anything to boast about. But, um, you know, when I when we first came in, I mean, my first year was a three and nine year. I ended up going nine and four, seven and six. It's um, we're not we're not we're not too proud about it, but uh, it's it's something that when you look back at it, you, you I mean you can be proud of you know knowing that you you left the place better than than when you came. No, no, yeah, definitely, and you can see the progress in the program. I, I'm curious to go back to one thing you said though about uh, you know the seniors could have done a better job, I guess, weathering the storm. I mean, did you feel like there were guys? I'm not saying the whole team, but I mean, do you feel like there were guys on the team that really let that loss linger? Because again, there was so much stock put in that game in the preseason. Um, I think that uh, I think that the Georgia game just kind of, you know, kind of hit us in the chin and you know made us sit back and kind of reassess what um, what we needed to do to kind of get our uh, get our get on our our feet the right way. Um, I don't know, man. It was just uh, it was just it was it was it was tough after that Georgia game to say the least. And uh, you know, I I, I do think that um, we responded well, though. You know, we came back to practice the next week and. We had a we had a really good few practices. Um, I don't remember who we played the week after, but um, um, after that game, you know, we kind of just uh, swallowed it and moved on to the next. For sure. So I I don't obviously don't want to be negative here, Jacob. That's not my intention of asking this question. But you're a guy that's been there for all five of the games, and I want to ask you, how do you explain the streak against Kentucky? Because that is one obviously that all South Carolina fans just scratch their head and just simply cannot believe. Um, and as a guy, it's interesting, you know, we had, like I said, I talked to Michael Skarnecchia before, and his answer was simply that we, at South Carolina hasn't been physical enough. 
And as a guy like you that plays on the line, I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Do you think it's just – can you just simply pinpoint it on that? I mean, has Kentucky been so much better than anybody gives them credit for? I mean, how would you explain the streak against Kentucky right now? Um, I think the last two years they were a lot better than people anticipated. Um, I think the first three years um, we kind of just let it – we kind of just let it slip uh, through our through the cracks. Um, I, I mean, I we really I can't pinpoint it. Um, the itch, it's just it was just weird. And I mean, going into the game, you know, we had especially you know the game when it was like uh, I believe it was the second or third game of the season. You know, Debo's having that Heisman candidate mm-hmm. type year. Um, you know, we had so much momentum going into that game, and then. I, I guess they just outplayed us. We, we weren't physical enough. Um, they they came to play and we we didn't. Um, again, like that's that's uh, that's something that you know we kind of had to live with. Um, you know, going into every year, we especially my last two years, we would even circle Kentucky. So we got like let's beat this team. Like like we got to stop messing around with them. Like and then it just didn't happen. I mean, I don't even know. It was just very frustrating. I want to really. ask you, because obviously that's it's going to be a huge storyline going into this year, Gamecocks getting the Wildcats at home at Williams-Brice. I mean, do you think – I mean, does it is it something that becomes mental? I mean, because as, as an athlete, I know that, like, eventually the stuff starts to creep in your head. And like you said, you guys circle the Kentucky game. I mean, it, like you're thinking to this year's game, I mean, is it something that's mental where it's like you're almost – expecting something bad to happen or I mean what do you think what do you let me ask you this what do you think this year's team has to do to put that streak to an end well I mean you said it it, it is mental but at the end of the day what the difference between a champion and, and an average Joe is learning to control those emotions you know not letting the mental the mental part getting seeping into your head and letting it affect your you know your train of thought um at the end of the day, man, when the when the whistle starts in Williams Bryce when we play the Wildcats, it's going to be zero zero. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be a great game. You know, people, you know the Williams Bryce is going to be so electric. Everyone's going to be hyped. You know, the players are going to be ready to play. Um, it, we're just going to have to score more points. I mean, I know it's I know that sounds simple, but at the end of the day, we just have them score more points, and um, and that goes with game planning, preparation. You know, on the field during during the play. You know execution um but you know th- th- this is a new year and uh, we're looking we're looking forward to the wildcats no doubt so i also want to get your opinion on something that happened in the 2018 season and that was kind of the back and forth between um obviously jake bentley goes down with an injury against kentucky um, michael skarnecki against the start gets the start against missouri plays extremely well obviously has an all-time game for south carolina parker white hits the game-winning field goal everyone is happy the conversation that ensued after that game was madness on local radio stations, social media about who should start at quarterback. And and it just, it seemed like it just went nuts when you look back at it. I mean, what were your thoughts on it as a bystander, if you will? Because obviously you're, you're friends with both guys, close with both guys, but it's at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, who's going to play and win football games. I mean, what were your thoughts on it sort of as a bystander, if you will, of the kind of the quarterback situation and kind of what unfolded? Um, well, you know, during the season, there's so much we got to think about where where the players aren't going to make the decision on who's starting between Jake and, and Scar. Um, you know, I, I was with Scar for five years. I was in college with Jake for four years, three, three years. So I was, I'm really close with both of them. You know, um, we, we all knew that we had full confidence in both of those guys. Um, you know, I, 
to say that wasn't crazy would be a lie. Um, a, a lot of people said Scar should play. A lot of people, you know, wanted Jake to play. But us as players, we really didn't care who was in. I mean, we had we had so much faith in both of the guys that uh, whoever was in, you know, we, we had full confidence that they were going to be able to execute and lead the team. For sure. So I, I want to jump ahead, Jacob, to the uh, the Florida game. Obviously did not turn out the guy the way you guys wanted, but you get your second career touchdown actually to start the game on a two-yard reception. Just kind of walk me through. Talk about that play. I mean, was it designed to go to you specifically? And I guess sort of your emotions scoring that game and also in what was a crazy, crazy game down in the swamp. <laughs> well, uh, we actually we, – we had run that play uh, for, for two years now in that same set with uh, three tight ends, you know, two tight ends and a fullback. And uh, we were, we would run the same power play. Um, we'd run a power play and his own play, but they were all pretty much focused on an inside zone run. And the other teams had seen that. So they were really anticipating the, the you know, the one yard, like uh, push, push the, uh, push running back in over the line. And uh, so when they called hike, me and Kyle, we had stepped down and the, and the offensive line did a really good job of, of uh, faking play action and the the linebackers bit going into the game we had thought that Kyle was going to be the one open just because he was going in the flat and I was going to go to the back back pylon and we were going to high low the one defender that was in between us and so we anticipated Kyle to get it but the the fake I guess worked so well that everyone ended up biting and um I was just me and Kyle were just both wide open in the back of the end zone and uh Jake, I guess, just picked me. Thank God he did. <laughs> you know, Kyle has Kyle, – Kyle got his touchdown the next drive, so, you know, we were even. We were both happy. But uh, it was just – it was it was awesome. Um, that, you know, that, that was that, – that play was all based on what we had done prior to, to the games. You know, we, we had run that play so many times before that it was just time to, you know, implement that play, and it, and it ended up working really well. Good day for the tight ends, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> I, right. I, I talked about that game, and obviously I, I won't kind of go over exactly what happened. We all know how that game turned out and ended up. But for you, again, Jacob, you're, you know, you worry about what you can, the things you can control. I know that's something Muschamp really preaches on, be where your feet are, all those good things. But as mm -hmm. an offense, you know, when you see the bodies going down the way they were a year ago, which was crazy, the way that all the injuries seemed to hit on one position, yeah, on man. one side of the ball, on the defense – was just decimated. I mean, did you guys kind of feel like, hey, we really honestly need to score every time we touch the football because we know we're just not playing with a full deck on the defensive side? Yeah, I mean, going in, we uh, we knew we needed to score a lot of points, but uh, you know, every game we're trying to score a lot of points. It's not like it's not like we're going to some games where like oh, our defense is going to play that good this game. We only need to score so many points. Um, we we knew that uh, we need to score a lot of points, you know, to kind of help out the defense because you know the defense in my career they have they bailed us out so many times as well, and um, so we kind of just wanted to return the favor. That's what that's what football is about, man. Is is when one side struggling, the other side comes and picks them up, and uh, you know that was um, that was kind of the case throughout my career. Um, we had we had whether it was offense struggling or defense struggling, um, we I always thought that we did a pretty good job of having the other respected side. Um, execute and uh, you know kind of carry the load for us how how crazy was it to see your teammates going down on that side of the ball though I, I mean it, it, I feel like it can get to a point where you're like god am I next because I mean it was just crazy the amount of guys going down with ankles knees I mean just all kinds of injuries it, it didn't it didn't make any sense I know that for me especially mm -hmm. I mean it was sad I mean not only are these like my teammates but you know these are these are kids that I've you know, I've been really, became really good friends with the last 
you know, one to five years, you know, these are, I, I know their families. I, I mean, I know a lot about them. I know so much about them to where like, it's not just, yeah, they're hurt. They're out next guy. It's like, Oh man, like this guy, this guy's trying to chase his dream and make it to NFL and you know, these injuries are stopping him. So, you know, we wanted to kind of help them out and, you know, try to play better and, you know, try to get wins for them so that we can kind of boost their morale so that they can come back strong and healthier. And, you know, during rehab, give them incentive to come back. Um, but yeah, it was, it was sad, man. It, it was, it really, it really hurt us a lot um, on the field and off the field because we knew how much playing means to us and to them, you know, cause you know, you're playing football for what, five, four, four to six months, I guess. And, but the other, the other, the other months you're training, you know, you're, you're, you're up at four, four forty-five AM and then you're, you you do not leave until sometimes nine or 10 PM if you're in camp or, you know, if you're in the summer, you're, you're doing two a days and there is no off season. Work, so. There is no off season. Yeah, there, exactly. There, there is no off season. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought we, we, we did, a, we did an okay job managing that. I mean, we won seven games, you know, we were not too excited about that, but, uh, I thought we did, um, I thought we did okay in terms of that field. I, I have to ask you just because I see it all the time. I hear it all the time. People ask me about it all the time. I, I think it's the most absurd thing I've ever heard, but what, what do you, what do you think of the people that try to say that the reason all the injuries happened was people that have criticized Jeff Dillman, the shoes? I mean, is that not like the most absurd thing you ever heard? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty absurd. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, once you get on the field, I mean, Jeff Dillman's not going to be the one breaking your ankle, you know? Like, the other teams, you know, it's, weird things happen. So, I, yeah, that, that was definitely, you know, outlandish. Why, in, in terms of why people said stuff like that, it's not true. It's just people, you know, trying to let out their emotions and they don't know how, so they just use that as a as an out. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I do want to ask you, Jacob, about the Carolina Clemson rivalry because I know while it didn't go your way at USC, um, that's just that's not a rivalry that everyone gets to play in. I talk about you know mm-hmm. your the emotions behind that as a kid that grew up as a South Carolina fan, the emotions in that game for you specifically, and then I'll ask you your opinion. You know, simply put, what do you think South Carolina football needs to do to turn the rivalry back around in the Gamecocks' favor? Uh, we just need to worry about ourselves. Um, we don't. We don't really care about what's going on in the upstate. Um, you know, it's, it, none of that's going to matter. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, with Kentucky, it's going to be zero-zero when the game starts. You know, it's, it's going to be whether or not we execute the right amount of plays. You know, or if we stop there on a. You know, on third downs, or I know that hurt us a lot last year was uh, not being able to stop on third downs. But that was a lot of what you said about what we talked about earlier in terms of injuries. Um, we just need to we just need to focus on ourselves. You know, we can't control what's uh, going outside of of the practice field, what's going outside of the facility. So uh, just staying on the right track. No doubt. So I, I want to ask you, Jacob, obviously, again, I, I'm not trying to ask a bunch of like negative questions, but I, I just want to get your perspective. I want to know, let's jump to that bowl game against Virginia. I mean, in your opinion, or I guess from what you saw, what you heard, what, what you experienced, I mean, what would you say happened in that game? Simply put. Um, it, honestly, looking back at it, it was a blur. Like, I, don't even, I don't even remember that game. Um, it was so demoralizing as a you know as a, as a senior that being your last game you know you, you want to come out uh you want to leave out you know victorious you want to end on a win so you can kind of ride out into the sunset but uh just didn't happen man um they they were when you look back at it they when you watch the film they were just they were more physical you know they were they were moving quicker um and again that's that's a lot on the senior leadership you know we need to 
we needed to nip that in the bud when we should have, but we just didn't. Um, I, it was just it was just a tough tough day for us. No doubt. So I, I want to ask you kind of on a, a lighter note question, if you will, Jacob. How jealous are you? Obviously, the uh, the Ken and Cindy Long Operations Building opened up. I believe they moved in in what January? I think it was. Um, how, how jealous are you that you don't really get to use, or I guess you can go back and use it, but how jealous were you that it opened up literally the the minute after you you leave South Carolina? I mean, it's got to be kind of a <laughs> it was <laughs> it was tough, man. I mean, we we especially like during practices we. We practiced for three years and they were building it and we were like, oh, we can't wait to be in it because initially <laughs> we were going to be in it for a season. So we were looking forward to it. And even even my senior year, you know, there was a lot of talk about being open in December. So the seniors were really excited to, you know, get in there the last the last month and kind of, you know, break it in. But uh, that place is unbelievable. Um, there's just there's no excuses anymore. You know, you know, with the old with the old ops, um, it was kind of tougher to to get closer with your coaches and your teammates because the coaches were on the other side of the, uh, of the field. You know, they were, um, they were above the student section and then the players in the weight room and the meeting rooms were, were on the left side of the, or on the right side of the field on the other side of the end zone. So um, we didn't really get to see them as much as we wanted to. And um, you know, I feel like that kind of hurt a little bit, but that's, but that's what the new facility kind of helps with is uh, getting players closer with the coaches um, and, you know, just having everything in the same area. For sure. So jumping into this year's team, Jacob, obviously we're only 26 days away from kickoff, depending on when you're tuning into this, but 26 days away from kickoff roughly. Um, I want to ask you because one guy, obviously I want to talk about the tight end specifically with you for just a second. A lot of guys you play with, most of them are back this year. Keel Pollard, Kyle Markway, um, Mm -hmm. Will Register, Evan Henson. I'm going to probably forget a couple, but those, those are the ones I remember off the top of my head. But one guy that I'm really, really, really excited for, and he played a little bit last year, had a little bit of an impact, but love his attitude, love his game. That's Keel Pollard. I, I, I'm sure you were probably at the spring game as well. And I, I, I take spring games with a grain of salt. Like I don't, I don't put a ton of stock in a guy balls out in the spring game and all of a sudden he's going to be the next big time thing in college football. But mm-hmm. Keel Pollard is a guy that did it a little bit last year. You have to love his tenacity and the way he plays the game, I, I don't remember specifically when it was, maybe after the Kentucky game when he said we need to do less talking and talk more with our pads, which is just such a football guy thing to say. But uh, yeah. he had a big spring game. You can really see. And I, I, I'm really excited for, uh, for Keel Pollard and think he could be one of Jake Bentley's favorite targets this year. When you look at Keel Pollard and Kyle Markway and the rest of the tight ends, but specifically Keel Pollard, I mean, what, what type of season do you think he can have for South Carolina? I think Keel – Kiel's going to have a breakout year. And um, I also think Kyle's going to have a really good year as well. Um, but, you know, like you said, Kiel, he's just a football guy, man. I mean, he just loves to put on the pads. He loves running routes. He loves blocking. He loves getting better every day. He's so passionate about his technique. And this goes with all the tight ends. But uh, especially especially Kyle and Kiel, I mean, they're just so passionate about what they're doing. Um, you know, they love the game of football so much that uh, – I think that if, uh, if if Jake can find them, you know, Kyle and Kiel are going to have a great year. But the thing with Kiel is he he came he came in as a as a, as a receiver, so he has that he has that background, you know, to his advantage. You know, he's he's really good with his route. The one thing about Kiel that people you know kind of got a glimpse of, but didn't really see that much is he's so elusive. He's very quick, um, and then on top of that, his passion for the game it's it just cannot be um, understated. Um, he's just so committed. You know, he, I could see Kiel playing, you know, 15 years in the league, 10 years in the league if you wanted to. You know, he's that, he's that kind of player. Um, he's just an electric guy to watch. 
No doubt. So, random question, Jacob, that just came to my head, but I'm just thinking about your teammates and your time at South Carolina. You guys obviously do something that I feel like has become infamous, at least something that South Carolina fans know about, and that's the cock drill, which is the one-on-ones. <laughs> Who's the toughest guy you ever took on in the cock drill? Uh, Danny Fennell and DJ and Dylan Warnham. Or DJ Warnham, I'm sorry. Danny Fennell, is, he has some of the heaviest hands that I went against, uh, you know, cock drill, it's just like a condensed form of what we do on the line. Every play, you know, it's one-on-one with the guy across the line and Danny Fennell and, and, and Warnham, they were just, they were just such, so tough to move. I mean, Danny, he came in, you know, benching a lot of weight. So it's, 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 it, it's kind of uh it's kind of second nature to him. Um, but uh, I, I'm really excited for Danny this year as well, because he, you know, he's a guy who kind of, just kind of waited his turn. I know he's coming off an ACL injury, but, uh, if he can, if he can, you know, get on the field and uh, stay healthy, I, I think that he can have a really good year as well. For sure. So I, I want to talk about as well this this year's team and really the program, the direction of the program under Will Muschamp, Jacob. You know, you talked about since Muschamp has gotten there, you know, it's been solid. 2016, six wins. 2017, the nine win season, and last year a seven win season. And you know, obviously, a lot of people questions they ask me about Will Muschamp. There's been a lot of different conversations, some credible, some not. I guess I think the people that any anyone that says hot seat I completely just discredit what they're talking about but I I just want to ask you the direction of the program under Will Muschamp because I I feel really good about it and I think what people need to realize is is they need to have patience and that's not a very popular word Mm -hmm. nowadays but it takes time to build a championship level program we're talking about a man that has the Mm -hmm. most wins in his first three years in South Carolina history Um, when you Mm -hmm. look at because you're I'm sure you're still a Gamecock fan you were a Gamecock fan before I'm sure you're more of it even now um, when you look mm-hmm. at this program, the direction under Will Muschamp, you know, what are your thoughts? Do you have any doubt that Will Muschamp is the guy to, uh, to get the Gamecocks sort of back to where they want to be when in 10, 11, 12 games a year? Uh, no doubt in my mind. Um, I think the sky's the limit for, for that staff. Um, I mean, even the guys they have now, the new staff, you know, they made a few changes um, the, after the last season, and, and everyone they have on, on their staff is, is just like the right guy for the job. I mean – so much can be said for all those assistants. I mean, you know, the coach Muschamp, he, he's, he's an excellent head coach, but you know, he can only do so much. It's about the guys underneath them. You know, they're just as important. And uh, that whole staff together, especially now, you know, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, there's, there's no telling what they can do if, if, uh, if they can implement the things that they want to implement. For sure. So I want to ask you, obviously, though, Jacob, because you're a guy, again, I know as a competitor, I feel like I know what your answer is going to be to this, but everyone wants to talk about going into this year, the schedule. Uh, that's all you hear about is the schedule, how hard the schedule is. And we, we don't care about the schedule. <laughs> and I know for a fact they don't care about the schedule. I mean, that, that's all media. Like at the end, at the end of the day, it's, like I said, it's zero, zero, you know, there's, there's 12 opportunities to make history. You know, um, we, everyone talks about how we play the first, you know, the first, First rank, second rank, third rank team in the in the. Yeah, wouldn't the season, you say that's but, an uh, exciting thing? There, like you'd look at more as an opportunity yeah, than than something that's a negative. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, you have an opportunity to to beat the first, second, and third team preseason in the or the, the first, second, and third preseason teams in the country. I mean, that's not a lot. No one else gets to have that opportunity, you know. So I know they're looking at it the right way. They're they they have they have a good perspective on things, and uh, they're just really excited about it. For sure. So, Jacob, talk about life after football for you. Obviously, I know you were working out, gave, I guess, the NFL a try. But if you're still doing football or kind of what – just let Gamecock fans know, I guess, what you're currently up to and, I guess, you know, what your plans are. If football is still in the plans for you or, I guess, sort of what the life of Jacob August is like right now. 
Yeah, um, so I did uh, – I actually got hurt during my training. Um, I I was hurt my senior season with a groin injury, and uh, I, I played through that. And then, you know, going a few months into training, um, it was just kind of best for me to, to stop training because at the time there was no – there was no uh, there was no cure for what I was going through, um, but uh, you know I'm getting healthier now and I'm kind of thinking about going back, giving another try. Um, I worked at a I worked at a Blackbaud. Uh, it's a it's a software company for nonprofits. Um, I did an internship there this summer. Um, I'm actually I, I'm I'm in the last week of it now. So uh, you know Brian Baruff and those guys they really helped me out with that. But uh, you know, if I, I can't give you a the, you know a definitive answer right now because I'm still in the process of uh, you know kind of figuring it out. Gotcha. No, I, I just curious. I was just I, I was hoping that football was still in the plans because obviously I know South Carolina mm-hmm. fans, including myself, would love to see that pan out. Um, before we let you go, Jake, I, I kind of a funny off the wall question. I, I've heard a lot of funny Spurrier stories, but I'm curious, what's the funniest Muschamp story that you can uh, you can tell in the airwaves? Oh man, I, there's a lot of things I can't tell you, but uh, <laughs> you know, just seeing just seeing Muschamp's reactions during the talent shows. You know, every year we have a freshman talent show during camp, and, and you know, guys get a picture on talent, and some of them, some of them are really funny. You know, some of them aren't. Some of them are, you know, kind of gross. Some of them are, you know, just things you don't want to like say in public. But just seeing Coach Muschamp's reactions to a lot of those videos was was some of the funniest things that I've ever seen. I mean, they're just – he's – Muschamp is like he's, just, he's an hysterical guy, you know. When he laughs, he laughs. He, when he laughs, everyone else laughs. So, um, and nothing I can really tell you, um, you know, in detail. But, uh, you know, he's just such a great guy. Fair enough. I, I feel like it's a little too fresh. He, he's, he's bound to show up yeah. at, your, at your door and kind of set you exactly. – might, might, might make you, <laughs> make, you, uh, make you do some up-downs or do something. <laughs> you're not right. too far removed from Muschamp's wrath, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, last question before I get you out of here, Jacob. When you look back on your career at South Carolina, if you had to pinpoint it to one, what would you say is your favorite memory as a Gamecock? Favorite memory as a Gamecock? Um, man, there's so many. I don't know if I can just give you one. But, uh, you know, the Tennessee win, uh, when they were 15 in the country, you know, that was that was incredible. The Michigan game, like you talked about. Um, the, um Beating Florida at home was was a big accomplishment for me as well. You know, us as a team, um, and you know that was the first time Muschamp had beaten Florida, so that was that meant a lot to us as well. No doubt. Well, Jacob, really do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, I want to say I know I speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure to uh, you know watch you do what you guys did on the field. I know for you specifically, coming from where you came from, being a local guy, being a walk on to earn a scholarship, that's always something that's. Uh, that's really cool and really special kind of taking that different route. So I appreciate you taking the time, man. Like I said, off the air, would love to have you back on the upcoming months to talk the season. And hopefully we're talking about the Gamecocks uh, winning a double digit game, going to Atlanta. You never know what can happen, but appreciate it, man. We'll yeah, definitely, man. Uh, we'll definitely talk soon. All right. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. Perfect. So for Jacob August, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. and We'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.